Hey guys, can we do some talking about screens and social settings? You know, it reminds me of a joke. An elderly couple, the husband started suspecting that his wife uh, was losing her hearing, so he stood behind her and said, Honey, and no response. So he goes a little bit closer, almost like right up to her ear, and says, Honey, still no response. Finally, he screams, Honey! And his wife turns around at him with a look on her face and says, for the third time, I told you, what do you want? <laughs> it's, an old, it's an oldie, but a goodie. Solid. That's awesome. Well, I think uh, that is, in a nutshell, the experience that most people have uh, in social settings, where are you really getting paid attention to? Is anybody really listening? Or are people connecting with the phone right in front of her face uh, or in front of their face? And that's what we want to explore today uh, here on Mindful Work. What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein, high-tech executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Mindful Work. My name is Dan Cohen. Uh, uh, this is a place where we have a CEO, a rabbi, and a shrink talking about mindfulness at work. As always, our host, our guide, our guru, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, clinical psychologist, chief spiritual officer at Mellow Sleep. And the author of Living in the Presence, coming soon from Orem Productions. And if you stop him on the street and you ask him what the goal is, he's going to tell you the goal is... The goal is soul. The goal is soul. Also with us today, Jason Rosen, Rabbi Jason Rosen, the newest leader in Israel's startup nation, technologist and extraordinary human being. Thanks for joining us again, Jason. I love you. I love you too. And my name is Dan Cohen, CEO of a professional services firm in the Bay Area. Um, and I just love talking about both mindfulness and work. So today we were going to talk about an idea that came up on a previous show, which is, could you actually make friends the TV show today? Or would it just be six people sitting around in a coffee shop staring at their phones? And if any coffee shop here in Israel is any indication, we think we know the answer to that question. Um, so I guess my question to start out, Jason and uh, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, do people even listen What'd you say? Yeah, that was too easy. Oh, that, that was, that was too, you guys were, was, were doing like, but yeah. But so in thinking about being in social settings or even being in a work setting, you know, can people, do we still listen? The people who are, the term I think is active listeners, I think are really, that's a, that's a really amazing skill. And those are the people who really can go far in life if you, you can listen well. Um, I think it's a skill that needs to be developed because default is not listening or thinking about yourself. We're so self-centered or thinking about ourselves all the time that you have to really develop that skill. Just try to imagine, I mean, I think if you ask people if they're good listeners, most of them would say they're great listeners, but the truth is, is are we actively trying to cultivate that skill? Is it something that we're aware of? Um, when we think of people who are active listeners, are we embodying those sort, those sort of character traits? Like think about somebody who's a good listener in your life, besides the person you're paying 50 minutes to. I have a question. Can you just unbox that then? Because we're using this term active listening. How, how can we define that? 
It, it's a hard skill. So, 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 so think of somebody. Who do you think is a good listener? You know, picture them and you picture them in your head and, and use one word to describe them. Think of somebody who's a good listener and think about one thing about them. Hashem. <laughs> okay, no. so, okay. So give me one word about Hashem that will describe his listening skills. I want to think of a person. I don't know. I need, I need your guidance here. I'm not sure. You, don't, you can't even think of somebody who's a good listener? See, here's what I would say while we're putting Jason on the spot. I think that... Um, put you on the spot too. Sure. I'm happy to be put on the spot. And what I would say is um, the, 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 the temptation is to say reflection, right? So for example, uh, in our business, a lot of times at the end of a couple of paragraphs, we've asked a client a question. And in return, we've gotten back, not a sentence, but we've gotten back maybe a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs. One of the most successful tools we have as professional services consultants is to say to the client, what I think I heard you say is, right? Does two things. One is it makes sure we're on the same page. Two, it makes the client who's paying you feel heard. The question that I would ask you as the psychologist is, is that listening or is that reflecting and parroting? Because I think active listening is not just saying, here's what I think you've heard, but it's then building on top of that. And what I would say is, as a person, I am a terrible reflector because while you're talking, I'm saying, wow, this is a great set of Lego and here's what I'm gonna build on top of it. And let me build with you. Let me collaborate with you on what you're building. But I've already started doing that right. halfway through the conversation. And that has nothing to do with the phone in my pocket. That's just how I am wired. So I guess I would ask you, what makes a successful listener? What are the ingredients of being a successful listener? Do you feel like there's something lacking when you're not doing that reflective state? Because that person, that client, I mean, because we're doing the same thing essentially in therapy. Mm-hmm. When someone comes to you and they really want to feel like you can help them, you have to, we don't understand, but we can certainly be empathetic to what they're dealing with. If they feel like, you can't help them because you don't understand what they're going through or what they're trying to get. I mean, there's sort of that reassurance. There has to be that other piece, that meaning if you're just parroting, then that's not going to be enough. And that wouldn't, I don't think that, you know, you know, my therapeutic experiences, both, you know, on each side of the couch um, to see, you know, how does that make you feel? So if what, if I'm hearing you accurate and that's great in, in the initial stages, but if you're already a step ahead, then no, you're not listening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, and you're helping. But you're not really doing what we're talking about in terms of being that fully attentive listening, which is what I heard a, a really good quote is listening without an agenda, which is really hard because our brains are already like, oh, we got to figure it out. And there's so many reasons as to why we're not able to do it. And this is part of it. You no, know, you can't see I'm holding up my cell phone. This could be part of it. But you're but our brains are so for so many different reasons. You know, and, and it's, it's almost like tapping into it in the middle of the conversation. It's like pausing and saying, am I listening right now? Well, I think um, what I heard you say, you see what I just did? I did. <laughs> I think what I heard you saying is that it can be mechanical. Meaning if you're just reflecting, like summarizing, so then you can build on top, then there's something lacking. I heard you use the word empathy. And I think that's next level listening, where it's not just reflecting what you're saying, but they're different than sympathy, like they're, and we can define empathy a little deeper, but like understanding where they're coming from and having that understanding between the two. So the reflection is not just to level the, the conversation field, 
and then build on top of it by using the reflection to empathize where the person is and maybe that's more active listening and i'm just I, yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm saying this out loud and thinking it out loud i don't know how we would define as clinical psychologists i'm just thinking about sort of where we've been most successful in our business as a team is certainly meeting clients face to face but even as a team using our sort of conference table as a lunch table or conference table as a a snack table. The phones are away and we're sort of really digging in on a problem and we're listening to each other as colleagues and we're attacking a problem and we're using the whiteboard and the phones are down. And when that happens, we can do incredible things. It's when the phones are out and we're trying to have that conversation um, or when we're um, not just taking notes in a meeting, but maybe even instant messaging with each other in the meeting. Um, that's not active listening and that's not when we're able to sort of truly, truly engage. What about sort of thinking about it in terms of, of what Jewish sort of thought has taught us about, um, uh, about both active listening as well as sort of that relationship between man and man? I mean, I was thinking about prayer in the sense of as a activity for active listening, it's practice because we think about prayer as like we're asking of God. But I think there's opportunity for listening. Um, I'm recalling um, an explanation of the Vilna and the Gra, when he was, the, I don't have the exact language here, but the Gemara Barachot says, you know, anyone who wants to be answered in their prayer should, should pray again. And the Gra explains that what the Gemara means is during the repetition of the Chazan, of the, you know, the leader, when he's repeating the Shmon Asrei, Follow it word for word, mm. right? So to me, I understood that as an activity, as practice of active listening, where I'm not, I'm not vocalizing my own prayers, but rather I'm just listening to the congregation's prayer. And that activity really opens up the, the, the gates of prayer or a blessing. He says that's the key to successful prayer. And it sounds to me that's the key to successful um, prayer is, is listening. So I will admit to using that time during the repetition of the Amida prayer to be checking my email, but how would you maybe apply that Vilnacone lesson to thinking about how to be successful as a student or in the workplace or as a team member? What, what, what do you, what do either of you draw from that lesson from the Gras? Well, can I just say like, sometimes I feel that pressure. I feel that pressure to be thinking the next step because I want to sound smart. I want to sound like intelligent or part, I am contributing something. So kind of like my ego drives me to think about the next step. And I think like what I, I need to be done is to just step it back. And being present means like not thinking about how I'm going to show myself in this conversation. Like, look, we were sitting around in a podcast talking. It's like, what am I going to contribute to sound intelligent in this podcast? But like, it just means stepping back and, you know, and listening. And that, that's a struggle because you want to feel like you have what to contribute. It's that constant give and take where you're checking in with yourself. I mean, we talked about listening without an agenda. That's part of his agenda. That's part of my agenda is that I need to have the solution. I need to sound intelligent. I need to not be a waste of space. And that creates this sort of urgency, this, this not compulsion, but this feeling of I need to get my thing out. And there's no way, just like when you're saying that, that at work, when the, when the phone is there, when the computer screens are there, it's literally impossible to have that communication because I'm not really hearing that person because my, my attention is sort of divided. And so when we check in and sort of see what's our agenda, then we can 
check in, excuse me, we can sort of recalibrate and get back to that act of listening that we're making as our conscious intention to be doing. And you'll see a difference. And, you know, maybe you could tell me in terms of with your clients where you're sort of sort of figuring out the problems three steps of the way, but you're not really with them in that moment. And then you catch yourself and bring it back and you'll see almost a recognition on the listener, excuse me, on the speaker where they'll be like, oh, this guy's listening right now. And you'll just see a completely different attitude and an openness. And it's something that we can really draw out from people because people sense it also. They sense when we're attention. And if we're not on our game from any of our perspective fields, you know, in any of our jobs. Well, sales, sales communications, and therapy. Right? All of them. I mean, we're all in the same boat. I mean, we might have a different language for it. But we're all, if, if we're not paying attention and we're not really present in that meeting, in that interaction, our clients pick that up. So much of business is fake it till you make it. And what I would say is this kind of active listening is the one place where that doesn't apply. You absolutely cannot fake Love listening that. or you cannot fake engaging. Um, and I think that we are all, we all, um, we all are subject to that. Um, I want to maybe just kind of turn the knob a little bit sideways and, and ask you just about the notion of feeling like a contributor. You use better language, Jason, than this, but feeling like you have, I think you said, what to add. Mm-hmm. And that taps into um, the notion of our sense of self-worth or our ego. And I wonder, I wonder, and I'll, I'll ask you, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein, to think about we've talked previously about the phone as being sort of a dopamine machine and a place to get that like positive feedback. But yet there's no better positive feedback than being in the moment and being present with someone. And maybe could you just talk about those two competing interests back, going back to the the friend's couch, the friend's sofa, Ross and Rachel um, sitting at the sofa, right? You've got the engagement piece, the real-time engagement piece, but you've also got this phone that's a dopamine dispenser. How do you think about how we balance those as tools for kind of supporting our self-worth or our ego? Well, it's almost what's the sort of intention when we're feeling whatever. And if first of it's a, it's a mindless reach for, for the phone when there's that mind, meaning what's in the moment able to sort of catch us because we are looking for that connectivity. We are looking for some sort of sense of feeling part of something, the social media or, or, or the, the, the likes on the Instagram, but it's, you know, a cheap substitute for the actual face-to-face, but we can't always be having it. So when we have these existential feelings of loneliness, or even if it's just boredom, we're going to be drawn to get that quick fix. It's, it's, it's fast food, you know, instead of making the nice prepared, healthy, you know, lean chicken and brown rice and, and steamed vegetables, we're going to, we're going to grab the chicken nuggets and fries. And that's sort of where we make that trade off. I believe country music singer, Tim McGraw calls that another dinner in a sack, a 99 cent heart attack. Mm. So he gets mm. that too. Mm. Um, Jason, your mm. thoughts on just sort of this, this balance between um, digital self-worth and then the sort of interpersonal self-worth. I think right, we are looking for something authentic, and we, the cheap substitutes will only take you so far. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we, we were very clear about identifying the problem. I, I think what I would love to spend more time talking about is, or sometime is, so what do we do now? Right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so spend more time talking to people and listening to them. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> 
how can we do that? How can we recognize and minimize the um, inauthentic, um, you know, connections and maximize the authentic connections? I, I saw somebody who was here over over the over the holiday of Sukkot, and uh, he was from America, so he was keeping two days, and I sort of ribbed him a little bit, just sort of like ah. And he, for those listening out there, Jews in America will hold a holiday for two days versus in Israel for one day. Correct. Long reason why, but just know it's twice the fun. Double your pleasure, double the taste, double the food. And his response to me was, I love it. And I said, really? I mean, you're, you're sort of, uh, you know, you're in Israel right now. You could be enjoying, you know, the sightseeing and the things you're sort of limited in what you can do. He's like, I love being able to sit around the meal with my family and not have any devices. And it was just, he's like, just one more day of that is worth any of the, you know, aggravation or feeling like I have to do go through the whole. And I was... I wasn't sure how to respond because on the one hand, I was happy that he was able to enjoy his family meals together. I'm saying have, have our family meals sort of uh, fallen apart to the point where people can't even sit around the table anymore. So how do we, how do we take this sense of device-free collaboration back to the workplace? I, mean, I certainly have some thoughts. And I think Jason's question is, is noteworthy. I think um, I've heard of people making sure that uh, there's a basket in the middle of the table and you put your phone in the basket when the meeting starts and you take it out 30 minutes later. Um, maybe if you're in a job where you're spending a lot of time on the phone, maybe the phone has to stay. I'm sorry, spending a lot of time on the phone with sales or anything. Maybe the phone has to stay in your briefcase. Um, what else could we do in our personal life and even in our business life to create these moments of authentic device-free engagement? You know, my thought around this is um, you got to be upfront. Like, make, you, you don't want to be that person. Say, hey guys, let's put our devices aside. Or you don't want, like if you feel like like the loser, you know, saying can we look at each other, mm-hmm. but be upfront about it. Say, hey, you know what? Can we put our phones on silent off to the side? I know the babysitters are going to try to call us. So we can check, you know, on the half hour mark or like just be upfront about expectations so you can have that opportunity to really connect. Even like just ten minutes, fifteen minutes of authentic communication. Would be good. Say like we'll check our phones in in twenty minutes from now. But if, until now, let's just put it off to the side. Is that possible? And if you upfront, it's going to be awkward until everyone buys in. But that could be a thought. Rabbi Doctor, I agree. I mean, I just saw a shul that that uh, in I think it was Teaneck, where there it's like a cell free cell phone free zone now. Which again is you think okay this we should need to police that but the truth is is, is we do and it's, it's not a weakness and i think i think people will be relieved you know to know that that if everyone's doing it i mean they're all in the meeting together and and people survive before email i think i don't know it's been a while so it's just back in california last week and i rented a car which sometimes i do and sometimes i don't this time i had set my phone to sort of respond through the car and listen to music through the car when I would get a text, the car would automatically text back, hi, I'm driving. Right. And I was so. like, wow, talk about like setting up boundaries such that you make it easier for people to know when and, and where they can't connect. I'm thinking of the, you know, the smoke break, for example. People who walk outside and take a smoke break, that's 10 minutes of authentic time that they can have to bond with people. So maybe one of the things we can do is set up environments where maybe not smoking, obviously, <laughs> but... Um, but looking, looking for, okay, we're not getting high right now enough. Um, but looking for opportunities to create authentic moments of, of connection. 
Um, so with that, what I'd love to do is just thank uh, Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein for his wisdom. Thank Rabbi Jason Rosen for his thinking about how to bring the Startup Nation into this. My name is Dan Cohen, and we look forward to chatting with you again here on Mindful Work. Um, if you have any questions, you can email us at info at mindfulwork.show. 